Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. It's bone chilling, teeth rattling, kind of cold out there. We could have a new protocol for homeless encampments in Hamilton. What impact will the Bulldogs move have on the downtown core? There's a new exciting treatment for cancer patients. A Hamilton teenager is now starring in her own TV show. And I'll tell you how you can help special Olympians across Canada. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900. Well, don't look now. I mean, you don't even have to look. You can just feel it. Polar Vortex is back. And that means we are in a deep freeze, at least for today and, well, a little bit for tomorrow as well. So we welcome you back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. It is the focus of our poll question of the day today on this coldest day of the year in Hamilton. What is the lowest temperature that you've ever experienced? Is it minus 30, minus 40, minus 50, perhaps minus 60? Right now, 75% say minus 40, 15% say minus 30 is the coldest they've ever experienced, and 10% say minus 50. Thankfully, no one has said minus 60. That's that's a pretty rarefied air. Doug Gillum is a meteorologist with the Weather Network and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Doug, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. I'm just I'm trying to stay warm like just about everybody else. Yeah, join the club. What, what's the coldest temperature you've ever experienced? Uh, I've experienced minus 32 for actual air temperature. I felt the wind chill to around minus 40. Uh, actually headed to Huntsville this evening, helping out with a youth group um, youth weekend. And uh, I expect I will set a new record for the coldest temperature I've experienced later tonight. What, what is it going to go down to? It'll be down into the mid minus 30s uh, with the clear skies and the winds diminishing. It's kind of the ideal setup for temperatures to bottom out. So it will definitely be colder up in cottage country tonight than it will be down here. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's a it's a cold day. Yeah, uh, well, that's an understatement. It's a frigid day, and it's uh, quite a contrast to the gentle winter overall that we've experienced so far. Absolutely. The the coldest I've ever experienced was minus 50.6, and it's a number I'll never forget. That was Fort McMurray, Alberta, back in the late 90s. Yeah, it was was pretty darn gone cold. Uh, But there was no wind, so, I mean, that was a saving grace, I guess. But, you know, it leads me to think of what just happened in Siberia, Russia, when it was minus 62 with this polar vortex. Vortex. Is this the same kind of weather mass that we're now experiencing? To some extent, yes. I mean, we've got we have a jet stream pattern that has set up what's called cross polar flow. So we have air that originated in Siberia coming over the top of the Earth, over the North Pole, and then plunging south into Canada. So that is how we get our coldest weather, uh, and that is what's happening. Obviously, it's not nearly as cold as what they have, uh, what they experienced, but it's a it's colder than we've become used to, uh, especially this winter. You know, many winters we'd be like, oh, it's another cold day, but um, it, you know, it, it's been so mild overall that you you'll feel it. And, you know, wind chill near minus thirty is is dangerous if you're not bundled up and prepared for it. Doug Gillum is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Doug is a meteorologist with the Weather Network as we discuss this polar vortex. Now, this is a very different one from what was um, uh, encountered in Russia for the simple fact that it's not staying around for very long. Is that is that odd? Um, 
It, well, I mean, often when we get severe cold, it can it's quick hitting, but it, it is odd in that we went from being, you know, we had a relatively mild winter, and then it is going, the temperature's going to rebound so quickly. You think back to the winter of 2013-14, where the term polar vortex became popular, we had several rounds of frigid weather like this, and we often spent several days with lows or in the minus 20s and then temperatures we recover and then we'd go back into the cold. But you don't usually stay severely cold for an extended period, but to have temperatures rising above freezing by Sunday morning, this is a true hit and run event. Uh, quite remarkable. Yesterday we climbed above zero and we're going to do it again on Sunday. Uh, and in between, it's freezing. The interesting part of this one is, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were hearing about this polar vortex that had plunged Siberia into temperatures that is very likened to what there, what is experienced on Mars. Um, knowing that right. this was around a couple of weeks ago, how were we able to track how and when it would hit us? Uh, the the models have done a pretty good job. There's weather models that simulate how the atmosphere will evolve over the course of the next couple of days and over the next couple of weeks. And there's a, a kind of a typical jet stream pattern that sets up cross-polar flow. And the models did a pretty good job of showing a couple of weeks ago that that pattern was going to set up. And so that has happened. A piece of the polar vortex is plunging south. We're Fortunately, we're just getting sideswiped by that. As cold as it is in southern Ontario, the core of that coldest air is tracking across eastern Ontario, uh, Quebec, and into Atlantic Canada. And they are going to break some records and probably set some all-time wind chill records across that region. So it's pretty well forecast. What's a little bit surprising is just how quickly we're going to go back into a milder pattern Sunday and and, and next week thought that temperatures would be wintry just a little bit longer than what we're actually going to see. Yeah, the average high for this time of the year is about minus two, and we'll be above that pretty much all week next week. Doug, appreciate your time today. Thanks uh, for staying with us, and, and keep warm. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, you stay warm as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. One of the things that we need to do moving forward is we just need a process that we're proud of, a process that we can stand behind, and I don't think that's what we have right now. And is the voice of Hamilton Councillor Alex Wilson as the debate heated up, so to speak, on homeless encampments in this community. What we know is that the city of Hamilton is now on course to develop a new protocol that focuses on the human rights of those living homeless in parks and other public spaces. Uh, city staff expected to work with groups like Hamsmart and Keeping Six, the YWCA as well, to craft this this new plan, this new protocol, and then back, uh, or come April, report back to council to say, right, this is what we got. Wade Paziamka is a partner of Ross and McBride, co-counsel for Hamsmart and Keeping Six, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Wade, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. Well, it sounds like this protocol is a positive step forward. Yeah, there's a lot of, of, of hope with the protocol. We certainly have a, a new city council, and um, you know, I'm hoping that we can work together and, and develop something that, that works for everybody, um, you know, including those who are, are houseless residing in encampments. So in a perfect scenario, how do, uh, how, what does this protocol look like that does uh, mean a win-win for those who are in places like parks as well as the city? Well, I, I mean, I think the bottom line is at least temporarily there are going to be encampments. We just saw in uh, the decision that came out a week ago in Waterloo, 
Um, but the issue isn't just about the number of shelter spaces in Hamilton. It's about the number of accessible shelter spaces. And we simply don't have that. And so there are concerns, you know, all around from residents around encampments, from individuals encampments, from shelters. I think we need to work together, address those concerns, and there's a way to do that. But, but to get there, everybody has to come to the table. And with this new council and the, the direction that they're taking, I have uh, a lot of hope. The decision from the Ontario Superior Court of Justice in its ruling uh, involving the region of Waterloo basically said that it could not evict people experiencing homelessness if there was not sufficient shelter space uh, in the community. We're seeing shelters in this community filled up. I would guess that the ruling would apply here as well. Yeah, I, I, I think it does. And I think it's, uh, you know, I think City Council was already on the path perhaps of, of you know, coming to the table and, and working with us. And uh, this decision is just a reaffirmation that, of what people's charter rights are. The judge who issued this decision was a former lawyer who practiced in Hamilton and uh, an excellent lawyer, by the way. Um, you know, and what he found was the evidence points to the conclusion that there are many benefits for encampment living. That's not to say that anybody's saying encampments are a permanent solution, but this decision really is a reverberation, I think, that should echo through the city of Hamilton and uh, let them know that, you know, litigation uh, may not work out the way that they had initially intended. And so rather than spending taxpayer dollars on fighting different groups and people who are houseless in court, use that money and let's work together and figure something out. Wade Pazyamka is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Wade is a partner with Ross and McBride and a co-counsel for HamSmart and Keeping Six. And we're talking about homeless encampments here in the city. The uh, city and local stakeholders are going to be working on a new protocol and we'll report back to council in April. And I'm eager to see what this protocol uh, entails. When I see homeless encampments, the thought for me is... And I'm not talking about, you know, what they look like. I just want to get these people into a safe, warm, especially on a day like this, place. Is that a flawed view? Is that not what they are thinking about? No, I don't think it's a, I don't think that's a flawed view at all. Um, I think that when those warm places aren't available or, or aren't accessible, though, we have to look at what happens in that scenario. And we don't just hide the ugliness of homelessness and say, you know, let's clear them up so we don't have to see society's failings. I think we... We take steps and work together to say, how can we make it safe for those in, in encampments to, to reside there, you know, until we do have accessible shelter spaces available for them in the broader community. There has been vocal uh, opposition to police involvement, to municipal law enforcement or bylaw officer involvement. Should that be included in this new protocol? I mean, I think that there, there needs to be a reallocation. If you look at what the city of Hamilton was was spending, I think it was about $545,000 on bi- two bylaw officers and two Hamilton police officers. You know, who knows how much they're spending fighting us in court? You know, at a time where, where that money could be better used to address the concerns that the city might have, like fires and health and safety, um, you know, why would we possibly spend it on enforcement measures when we could spend it on uh, measures to ensure ensure safety and address the concerns that, 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 that are out there? So, you know, I would say no. I, I, I don't think that, that allocating money to, to enforcement right now is the way to go. Let's allocate that money to accessible shelter spaces. Would that money also be better spent just on hiring more outreach workers? Yeah, and I think that's something that was discussed at Council. Um, certainly that, that could be part of the protocol and, and probably should be. And, you know, I'm hesitant here to, to give concrete answers on what the protocol should involved because I think the protocol has to involve a number of experts around the table who know far more than I do but 
also um, individuals who are houseless residing in encampments. I would agree with that. They're living this. We should absolutely hear what they have to say about it. Wade, uh, we appreciate your time today. Best of luck with this, and we'll certainly follow uh, up with you uh, when April comes around and we see this uh, protocol. Thanks a lot, Rick. That's Wade Pazyamka. He's a partner with Ross and McBride and co-counsel for Hamsmart and Keeping Six, two of the local and very key stakeholders in this conversation on the Go Forward plan in dealing with homeless encampments in this community. There are uh, people who subscribe to the nimbyism factor. Hey, not in my backyard. I don't want to see this. Get these people out of here. Um, for me, that, that that's not that's not the answer. I mean, we need to put these individuals in a warm, safe space, um, regardless of what this thing you know looks like. Whether there's whether there's tents in a park or downtown Hamilton, as we saw early on in the pandemic. Let's just get these people, as I said, in a safe warm or cool if it's during the summer place and um you know mind their health and uh, and their mental health as well you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml saturday february 11th at first ontario center it is one of the last games that the bulldogs will play in hamilton i know they got a few more on the schedule but you know what i mean they're moving to Brantford for the next three years and it's really going to leave a an economic hole in downtown Hamilton. How big of an impact will it have? Ryan McHugh is the manager of tourism and events with the city of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ryan, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. The question a lot of people are asking is, when the Bulldogs' three-year excursion to Brantford ends, does the city of Hamilton want this team back? Yeah, and uh, you know, I can say uh, on behalf of the entire uh, city of Hamilton, um, we have nothing but the utmost respect for Michael Ann Lauer and the Bulldogs organization. Uh, their investment uh, in the Hamilton community is second to none. Uh, you know, I myself was at the Game Seven OHL Championship game against the Windsor Spitfires, as I know you were, Rick, and what an incredible moment that was, bringing uh, their second OHL champion. I know Michael was on your program the other day and reminded us all of an AHL championship <laughs> as well. So they are a valued member of the community and uh, you know, have every intention uh, as the city of Hamilton doing everything in our power to ensure that the Hamilton Bulldogs remain the Hamilton Bulldogs. And uh, Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group, so the group which is now overseeing the uh, operation of the first Ontario Centre, uh, I can assure you they have that same level of commitment. What economic impact does the Bulldogs franchise generate for the downtown? Yeah, they do. So that that building uh, has been actually on, on a nice run uh, over the last year or so as well. So in addition to the Bulldogs games and you know the championship run they had, uh, they've had large concerts such as the BTS, so the large uh, K-pop concert, which had people come in from all over the world to see that show. Uh, Michael Buble, Pearl Jam, Rage Against the Machine, the list goes on and on. So uh, that arena does provide tens of millions of economic impact for the community. Uh, and the Bulldogs, of course, are an integral part of that. And, and that fills up restaurants, bars, hotels, uh, you name it. Uh, so definitely uh, will be a void. But it's also important, Rick, uh, if I may, you know, to speak to the reasons why uh, we're in this position, if that's okay with you. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, there there is going to be an excitement level when this arena is redone. Uh, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, there's two, uh, you know, very positive things that I would like to note for your listeners that will uh, materialize as a result of the entertainment precinct deal. Uh, so the first one is uh, prior to this deal, the city subsidized uh, the entertainment venues, which includes 
the first Ontario center, uh, over $5 million a year in operating and capital expenses. So, you know, that's uh, just to, for your listeners to, you know, paint the order of magnitude of how large that number is. That's $13,000 a day, you know, almost $500 an hour. Just the seven, eight minutes, Rick, I'm on here with you. That would cost taxpayers, you know, $70, $80, right? So um, the good news is that as a result of this deal, the city will no longer subsidize those venues over the next 49 years, uh, providing $150 million in savings, which allows uh, city council to reallocate those funds to other initiatives such as public housing, et cetera. So that's, uh, you know, number one is there's a large financial benefit to the taxpayer. Uh, and number two, there are significant investments being made in the first Ontario center. So the entertainment uh, precinct deal, uh, which was approved, required QPEG. Uh, so this is the group, again, who's taking over the operations of the venue to invest a minimum of $50 million in the arena. And at the time, uh, at that level of investment, the intention was to renovate, uh, you know, in off seasons and do the best they can to accommodate the schedules of tenants such as the Bulldogs. But since the deal was approved, uh, a group called Oakview Group. So this is uh, founded by Timothy Lewicki, who's the former president and CEO of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So this is the group responsible for the $700 million renovation of Seattle's Climate, Climate Pledge Arena, so the home of the Seattle Kraken, as well as a billion-dollar uh, complex where the uh, UBS Center, where the New York Islanders play. So they're putting their first flagship Canadian investment in Hamilton. So as a result of that, the renovation went from 50 million to over 100 million. So uh, the scale of the investment went up significantly. And once that was finalized, which will have only positive impacts once the renovation is done, uh, you know, HUPEG was put in the position where, um, an awkward position, quite frankly, where they had to notify some of the existing tenants, such as the Bulldogs, who understandably had some frustration because they had to make arrangements of what they're going to do in the years to come. But post-renovation, so we'll have a venue that has an over $100 million facelift. It'll increase fan experience and um, really create an environment where organizations such as the Bulldogs uh, you know, can really thrive with additional revenue generation opportunities. Hamilton will become a hot spot for additional concerts. So really, it'll make this market competitive for a generation to come well, uh, at that arena. It's uh, it's good to know that the Bulldogs are wanted in this community and will be welcomed back in open arms. Ryan, we're out of time, but I appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tomorrow is World Cancer Day, and it's quite timely because there's a new treatment that is tackling cancer and giving patients a better chance at remission, including many of those here in Hamilton. It's called CAR T-cell therapy, and we have a couple of guests to describe how this is working. Dr. Ronan Foley is a hematologist at Hamilton Health Sciences in the Jurovinsky Hospital and Cancer Center, and Blair Chown is a former radio personality and a retired millwright who has mantle cell lymphoma. Uh, Dr. Foley, Blair, good morning. How are you? Yes, good morning. Blair, we'll start with you. How and when did you find out about your cancer? Uh, this was uh, 2014. My uh, family doctor in Leamington, Dr. Gao, looked me in the eyes, and I just had a biopsy about a week earlier. 
and uh, told me, Blair, you have cancer. We can treat it, but we can't cure it. So that was, uh, for any cancer patient, that was a heavy weight put on your shoulders because uh, you begin to wonder how much time I've got. It's a terminal cancer uh, prognosis. I can imagine that was, uh, yeah, quite disheveling. Dr. Foley, can you explain this CAR T-cell therapy and why Blair was a good candidate? Yeah, no, uh, thanks, Rick, and, and, and thanks to CM, uh, CHML for, for recognizing World Cancer Day, which is, is tomorrow, February the 4th, um, and, and also recognizing all the uh, important work that's going on right here in Hamilton by a very talented group of people at the uh, Juravinsky Cancer Center. Um, so the, in terms of how this therapy works, it's, it's some pretty serious science going on here in, in, in terms of what we aim to do is take Blair's white blood cells, which can be very powerful, genetically modify them, actually down in California, uh, return to Hamilton where these cells will be given back to Blair and essentially become a living drug. They go in, they divide, they expand, and they sort of put a constant pressure on his non-Hodgkin lymphoma to the point that we hope it will go into a complete remission. And really, this is, this is a game changer because, as Blair said, the, the, the idea of having cancer that can't be cured is very challenging. I can't even imagine what it's like for patients to find out that treatments are no longer working. So this is a game changer. And, um, I mean, he's our first patient. We're just starting out. But um, we're excited. The team's all ready. And um, it's ready to go. Blair, what's it like being patient zero? Well, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, I spoke briefly with um, Dr. Foley's uh, point man, uh, Eric, and uh, uh, he asked me, Blair, do you know why you're here? And I explained to him why I was, I, my understanding of why I was there. And then uh, I uh, briefly met with the doctor, and I knew immediately that I was in very good hands uh, this um, finding out after the various treatments I'd had, I uh, initially, uh, after my initial diagnosis, I was on chemotherapy. Uh, the cancer backed off. Uh, subsequently, uh, I'd have a six-month um, CAT scan, but then it came back, so a three-month CAT scan. Uh, then uh, I went to uh, London for a stem cell transplant, uh, which uh, they give you a very strong dose of chemotherapy and uh, have removed your white and the red blood cells, your platelets, and they reinfuse them back in you, and uh, the cancer backed off once again for a while. Then um, I went on a drug called Imbrutinib, which I think basically mirrors the, um, generally speaking, the uh, chemotherapy effect. Instead of chemotherapy, you take the medication. However, I've been told recently that uh, once again the cancer has come uh, uh, back rather strongly, and uh, I would have a year at the very most two years to live. So to find out that there's uh, hope out there, and this is a story of hope, uh, is tremendous for me. Dr. Foley, we have 30 seconds. When will you know if this treatment worked? Yeah, these cells are very powerful. We should know within a month um, if, 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 it's, if it's gotten close to remission or possibly even in remission. So uh, it's, it's a powerful therapy. It's uh, really moved the needle on this, and, um, and we're excited. And uh, 
we're going to do our very best here. Well, it certainly has provided new hope to people like Blair and probably countless of others. Blair, best of luck, Dr. Foley, you as well. And uh, we will uh, touch base, I'm sure, in about a month to see how everything is going. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. That's Dr. Ronan Foley, hematologist at Hamilton Health Sciences, Jurevinsky Hospital and Cancer Center, and Blair Chown, a former radio personality, a retired millwright who has mental cell lymphoma and is now undergoing this CAR T-cell therapy. Best of luck to Blair and all the doctors. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is a fantastic story. There's a 13-year-old from Hamilton who is all of a sudden and rightfully so, starring in her own TV show. Unbelievable. Anara Eileen is her name, and she has landed her own show on TVO Kids. And CHML reporter Lisa Pileski caught up with Anara and talked about hosting and creating Anara's bookshelf. Let's listen in. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with Anara's bookshelf, can you tell me how it all started and where it is now? Of course. So Inara's Bookshelf started off as an Instagram account that I started around 2020 when schools first closed. And the goal of it is to spread diversity and representation in the media through books. So I've been doing that on my Instagram page for the last three years by reading and reviewing books, doing read-alouds of diverse books, and then interviewing diverse authors. And now it's been made into a TV series, which is bringing that goal and that message to a bigger screen. So basically, I've been interviewing authors and doing interviews. But what's cool about this is that I actually get to go and meet the authors in person, on location to where they live. And we also have some celebrity guests as well. Well, that's great. Can you tell me a little bit about um, why it's important to you to highlight a diversity of authors and stories as part of Inara's bookshelf? Yeah, well, I think that it's important for kids to see characters and books that look like themselves, you know, and especially I focus on sharing own voice stories a lot. So for them to read books that are written by people that look like them and that have the same culture about characters that look like them. And I think it's also important for kids of other cultures to be able to step into another person's shoes, another person's story, so that we can all better understand each other. You know what I mean? We can all learn how different cultures do different things. And that way, when kids grow up and they go into this big world, they can understand everybody better. I actually saw you speak at the launch for Hamilton's Black History Month celebration earlier this week. And you mentioned how it feels to be a young person who's uh, shaping the future of black history. Can you talk about that and what kind of impact you hope to have with your voice? Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, speaking at the event the other day was insane. I was really nervous, but it was an incredible experience. But I mean, I guess I just really want to reach other kids. I want my voice to reach them and to reach parents and teachers that can help me with this mission. You know, those are the people that are be able to give diverse books to kids. You know, when you're younger, it's hard for you to go out and look for books with, with with characters that look like you. It's usually your parents or your teachers that are giving you those stories. So I think that that's really important. And I just want kids to feel inspired and seen. And I want them to be able to see themselves and to know that even if you're 13 years old, even if you're nine years old, you can speak up, you can share a message, you can try to solve a problem in the world that you've seen that's affected you, that is probably affecting other kids like you. So I think it's important for kids to know that their voice can make a difference. And I hope that by hearing mine, that they'll better understand that. 
Wow, that's awesome to hear. Uh, what kind of feedback have you heard from your teachers and family and uh, friends and everyone around you? How have they been responding to your success? Because this is honestly really exciting, especially for someone as young as you are. Well, thank you. Well, they've all been very, very supportive. I am insanely grateful for that. My family has been there since day one. They've encouraged me. They empower me and inspire me every day. So I'm grateful for them. My teachers and all my teachers in my school have been so supportive. They always tell me when they've seen me on the news and they always tell me that they're proud of me, which I appreciate a lot. And they help me as much as they can. They're always open to helping me in any way that they can on this journey of mine. They let me read in their classrooms to kids and bring books. So they're incredible. And my friends, my friends are great too. They came to the launch part, the screening party of Inaris Bookshop, the series. And they're just so supportive. They're so proud of me. They're always amazed by what I'm doing. So I'm surrounded by so many loving and supporting people. And it's, it's great. And I'm very grateful for it. Well, it sounds like you're inspiring a lot of people and helping them realize that they can get their voice heard like you've been able to. Do you have any heroes that you would say helped inspire you to do what you're doing? Hmm, let's see. Well, I mean, when you first asked me that question, I'll just say the first person I thought of. And that was my dad. Um, I mean, he just he's always empowered me to use my voice. There's people in my life that have just pushed me and encouraged me and inspired me and shown me that I can make a difference. And my dad is definitely one of those people. Um, another person in my life is my mom. She's my number one fan and number one supporter and cheerleader. She always tells me how proud she is of me. But they, they've inspired me to use my voice and they make me not afraid to do it. They they're very comforting. So I know that even if I mess up or even if I don't say yes to every opportunity, that they'll always be there for me and support me. So I think those two are definitely. Well, that's good to hear that you have that support. Um, so going back to the series, I was watching the first episode about the witchlings and you visited the author behind that book. And that was neat to see because it was the kind of book that I would have really enjoyed when I was a kid. Um, can you tell me if you have a favorite episode of the series and uh, why it might be your favorite? Oh, my goodness. I can't do that. I love all <laughs> of them. I love all the books. I love all the authors and the celebrity guests that we talked to. It's impossible for me to pick a favorite. But I'm, I am glad that you enjoyed the Witchlings episode. Yeah, it was great. So what are your plans after this? Do you want to do more episodes of the show or do you think you'll be focusing on school for a little bit? Yeah, well, I would love to film more episodes to do just another season of this. That would be great. I'm starting high school next year, so it might take me a bit to get used to continuing to do Inara's Bookshelf and going through school at the same time. But I do want to continue Inara's Bookshelf. So I don't know what's next, but I'm excited to find out and see how different it will be going into high school and having a new routine and things like that. Well, it sounds like you're definitely prepared for it. And I think you'll meet any challenge head on. And no matter what you do, I think you're going to be successful at it. So congratulations, Inara. Really looking forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wow, what a great chat between CHML's Lisa Pileski and Inara Eileen, the host and creator of Inara's Bookshelf. TVO Kids is where it is landing 
absolutely phenomenal from a 13-year-old. When I was 13, I was not hosting my own show. Uh, I wasn't doing anything, <laughs> to be honest. Not a thing. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tim Hortons is selling a special donuts where profits are going to help Special Olympics Canada. Starting today and until Sunday, 100% of the proceeds from sales of this donut are going to go directly to local Special Olympics community programs supporting thousands of athletes with an intellectual disability across this country. Joining us now to talk about it is Laura Stremble, Special Olympics Ontario athlete from Dundas. Laura, good morning. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm fantastic. I understand you're going to be going to a Tim Hortons in Burlington to help make donuts today. Have you ever made a donut? Oh, uh, well, no, I have not. <laughs> Neither have I. So you're in for a surprise, I'm sure. Um, I'm not sure how many donuts you're going to end up making today or even eating today. But the, the, the special part about it is that this is going to help Special Olympics Canada. What does it mean to be involved in Special Olympics? Well, yes, it is so exciting. I would imagine so. What sport do you play? I play boxing, rhythmic gymnastics, five pin bowling, and soccer. Wow. Okay, so I have to ask you, Laura, which one is your favorite? Wow, if I had to pick one... I will have to choose gymnastics. Okay, why do you like that the best? I like that the best because uh, it's really nice movement. I like all the routines. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit challenging, but I get through them. Wow. So which one, is that also the toughest one to play? Um, sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, Special Olympics because I believe the next one is coming up this summer in Berlin, Germany. Uh, are you going to be competing in these games? Yes, I am. Wow. I will be for bocce. Excellent. So how good are you at bocce? I'm really good at it. <laughs> I've been practicing. I guess so. If you're if you're going to the Special Olympics for bocce, you got to be pretty good. Now, do you have a certain strategy for bocce? Because I've played bocce pretty much my whole life, whether it's in the backyard or in a field with friends and family, and I really love it. What's your strategy with bocce? Well, my strategy is by using astroturf. In Berlin, they're going to have astroturf, so it's a whole new game. Okay. Oh, so it's yeah. not it's not regular grass. Right. Woo. So it's walls. And walls on the edges. And walls on the edges. Well, okay. So the strategy's uh, it's gonna change. Yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, I also understand that you met a couple of famous Olympians, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer in November. Is that true? Yes, that is true. What, what, uh, what how did that happen? Well, basically, um, I went to a Special Olympics gala to uh, show everybody the Olympians going to Berlin. Wow. And I was backstage about to get ready, and the first person I saw was Scott, and I got to take a picture with him, <laughs> and it was so cool. And I asked him, well, where's Tessa? And he said, well, she should be here soon. And then a couple minutes later, she came backstage. And then after that, we went on stage together, me and Tessa, which is really cool. 
And then right after that, everything was over for that part. Mm-hmm. And then she was just running out to the hallway. She said, well, do you want to get a quick picture with you? <laughs> and we got a picture together, which is so cool. And then uh, they do like a live auction at these galas. Yeah, okay. And so I did an interview with the uh, host uh, of the gala. And with Tessa and Scott. Wow. So, you know, I asked the question, you met Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer. I I think I should have asked, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer met you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Laura, good luck not only at the Special Olympics in Berlin later on in June. That should be very exciting as you take on to the bocce courts. But also in making these donuts today, it's a special occasion. Hopefully a lot of money is raised to help Special Olympians like yourself enjoy a fun time. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. That is Laura Stremble, Special Olympics Ontario athlete from Dundas, Ontario. You can find out more information on social media at Special O Canada. That's Special, the letter O, Canada. Uh, or just Google Special Olympics and you'll meet and see a lot of athletes like Laura who compete in, in numerous different events, you know, from gymnastics to soccer to bocce. And she'll be competing in bocce in Berlin again, June 16th to the 25th. That is pretty cool. That is pretty cool for a local athlete to go overseas now on the on the artificial turf to play bocce, uh, that's awesome. That is an awesome story. So Laura and a bunch of other Special Olympians will be at Tim Hortons locations really here, there, and everywhere today and up to and including Sunday where 100% of the proceeds from the sale of these donuts, and they, they kind of look pretty cool. Chocolate with a little bit of frosting. I'm not a big... Um, what are those little bits on the uh, sprinkles? I'm not a big sprinkles guy, but, you know, the donut looks good. I think it's got some whipped cream or something on uh, on top. It looks like a good donut. Uh, and you can really take advantage of this by, you know, giving money to the cause. But there's also a win-win scenario, too, because you're helping athletes like Laura. But you can participate as well in the hashtag choose to include social media photo challenge for a chance to win a $20 Tim card. And uh, one winner from each province is going to be selected. I know it's not a huge prize, but hey, let's get involved and help these Special Olympians. So purchase a Special Olympics donut at your local Tim's. That's easy to do. I think most people are going to probably do that, when, especially when they see this thing. Uh, post a picture of you and your donut. Be sure not to eat it because we need that, I guess, photo proof on social media and include the hashtag choose to include and also tag at Special O Canada and at Tim Hortons. And uh, who knows? You could win. And there's an also step when you want to tell uh, other people to get them involved. And I think that's just the power of social media to spread the word. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.